0: Hello, and welcome to this Vijay Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, we'll be hearing from leading experts who explore the latest updates in hematological stem cell transplantation reported at the EHA 2021 virtual meeting. Our speakers today will discuss results from their QUATE study of italuzumab for the treatment of acute graft versus host disease, a phase one study of for sclerotic chronic GVHD, and an investigation of peripheral perfusion in allo HSCT survivors. Firstly, let's hear from John Careff of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Boston, Massachusetts, who provides an overview of interim results from the equate study investigating the efficacy of italizumab. The equate
1: study is a uh, study reporting on the preliminary safety and efficacy of a novel medication called etolizumab, uh, which is a targeted anti CD6 therapy uh, for the initial or upfront treatment of patients with severe acute graft versus host disease. You know, we're reporting uh, our phase one results, which are our dose finding uh, results, and we're uh, highlighting the uh, preliminary. Uh, safety, uh, the uh, pharmacodynamics in terms of the ability of the drug to hit its CD6 target on the surface of immune cells, uh, and uh, the preliminary efficacy of this intervention in terms of inducing a response uh, in patients with this condition, severe acute graft-versus-host. What we did was we investigated the um, three different doses of etolizumab. Uh, 0.4, 0.8, and 1.6 milligrams per kilo for patients with grades 3 to 4 acute graft-versus-host disease. This is a clinical grading system uh, based on the severity of involvement of different organ systems known to be uh, implicated in uh, the Uh, severity of this disease. So we look at the skin in terms of extent of rash or uh, peeling of skin. We look at the gut in terms of uh, diarrhea and uh, intestinal inflammation. And we look at the liver in terms of liver dysfunction, uh, specifically the uh, bilirubin. And so patients with the higher grades are considered grade three and four. Uh, And in that setting, we are evaluating these three doses of etolizumab in conjunction with standard doses of systemic corticosteroids, uh, such as uh, prednisone, uh, at a standard dose of two milligrams per kilo. And uh, what we're reporting is the initial dose findings, so those three dose levels, uh, as well as an expanded cohort of patients at the two higher dose levels, at the 0.8 and 1.6 milligram per kilo dose. Uh, And in that uh, we have broadened the indications. We are allowing patients with slightly less severe acute graft versus disease, grade 2, so long as they have biomarkers suggesting that they actually have more aggressive disease. And we're also allowing a slightly broader time interval of up to uh, seven days, as, a, as uh, opposed to the initial 72-hour or three-day window uh, for the start of steroids prior to uh, the use of etolizumab. So combining these two, Uh, We have around 20 patients that we're reporting results on. I think the um, highlights of the presentation really speak to the fact that uh, at these three dose levels, uh, what we are showing is that etolizumab is able uh, to uh, do what we expect it to do. In other words, at the pharmacodynamic level, what we find is particularly for the two higher dose levels of 0.8 and 1.6, we're able to su- successfully cause a reduction in the uh, cell surface expression of the CD6 target that this drug uh, uh, is obviously um, working against, uh, that the uh, reduction in the, in the uh, level of CD6 on the surface of these uh, immune cells leads to there being less pro-inflammatory and less proliferative, and thereby less able to sustain uh, immune um, toxicity of graft-versus-host disease. So that is the pharmacodynamic effect. In terms of their safety and tolerability, we show that uh, for the majority of patients, dosing at these dose levels was indeed feasible. We did document some toxicity, some adverse events in all treated patients. That is not unusual in a uh, extremely uh, sick population of uh, hospitalized patients such as these. Uh, What we do highlight is that none of the patients had uh, fatal side effects from this medication uh, that were attributable to its use. Uh, Some infections were noted, but again, infections are expected in this population, so uh, their existence per se doesn't um, mean that they're due to the drug, uh, but that is clearly something we need to continue keeping an eye on. In terms of the effectiveness of the drug, we saw an up to 70% response rate for patients treated uh, with etolizumab when added to systemic steroids. This is higher than one might expect with the use of systemic steroids alone, though I will emphasize, there's not a control comparator within the study. So uh, we're, we're basing that on reports in the literature from other experiences in similar pages. The responses were actually Uh, a a majority of the patients who responded actually had complete responses, which is highly gratifying because that's ideally what you would like to see uh, in uh, a disease as severe as this. And as as a correlate, what we are able to show is for these responders, there is a very substantial ability to taper systemic corticosteroid use uh, to the extent of up to 70% uh, in patients uh, who were on treatment through day 28 uh, and that, that response was durable uh, even beyond uh, the uh, day 28 mark and indeed even beyond the discontinuation of the etolizumab treatment, which was for a total of eight weeks or so up to day 56. So all in all, we feel that based on the safety profile, based on the uh, immune effect profile, uh, and based on the clinical response and, uh, and extended duration of response, Uh, that etolizumab, particularly at the two higher dose levels of 0.8 and 1.6, is indeed um, promising uh, and uh, worthy of further exploration uh, in ongoing and future studies.
0: Secondly, we have Eduardo Rodriguez Arboli of the Hospital Universitario Virgen del Rocío, Seville, Spain, who gives an overview and discusses findings from a phase one study of Glasgow.
2: We know from uh, previous studies that there is an increased activation of uh, hedgehog uh, signaling in dermal fibroblasts in patients with uh, sclerotic GVHD, uh, leading to uh, collagen deposition and uh, fibrosis. And the inhibition of this pathway has been shown uh, to ameliorate sclerotic uh, features in, in animal models. So, uh, given this background, uh, this was an investigator initiated phase one uh, dose escalation trial where we evaluated uh, Glastagip and oral. Uh, head coach signal inhibitor in patients with uh, refractory sclerotic chronic uh, GBHD. Uh, 20 patients were included in, in this study. The, these were uh, heavily predicted patients uh, with severe uh, sclerosis after at least uh, two lines of uh, treatment with a median of four uh, lines of prior therapy. Uh, some patients have received even up to uh, 10 lines of therapy, so uh, overall a, a very challenging patient uh, population it uh, was administering continuous 28-day uh, cycles, and for the analysis that we present here uh, at IHA, uh, the data cutoff was at the end of uh, cycle uh, 12. So, uh, starting with the safety uh, site, uh, we encountered a high incidence of on-target adverse events. These were uh, class effects that we have uh, have been describing: the use of uh, different Hedgehog uh, signaling inhibitors. Uh, Hedgehog signaling is, is uh, characteristically silenced in many uh, adult tissues, but uh, still plays uh, important physiological roles in the homeostasis of uh, some tissues like uh, muscle, hair follicles, or uh, taste buds. Um, as a result, alopecia and can be common uh, side effects of uh, these inhibitors, and were in fact uh, frequently uh, reported. However, the, the main limitation here in this trial was uh, a high incidence of uh, muscle cramps and other uh, non-glaucoma-related uh, effects. Which uh, were severe in a number of patients, uh, 70% presenting at least grade uh, two events, uh, 30% grade three events, with two events that uh, qualified as those uh, limiting toxicities in the 100 milligram uh, cohort. And this led to uh, the halt of dose escalation and to uh, establish the maximum tolerated uh, dose of uh, 50 milligrams uh, per day, as uh, compared to the 100 uh, milligram dose uh, approved in combination with uh, low dose RAC in, in AML. And it's in fact interesting that uh, in the uh, trials in the EML uh, setting this toxicity, although uh, reported in some patients, uh, did not represent a, a major obstacle. So it seems that this uh, patient with sclerotic uh, GVHD, uh, who can present a muscle cramps uh, for a number of uh, other different reasons in the context of uh, GVHD, may be primed to uh, develop this uh, toxicity. Um, also, the, the fact that we kept uh, seeing on target adverse events even at the 50 milligram dose. Uh, suggests that we were probably achieving uh, significant biological activity despite this uh, lower uh, dosing. Uh, overall, this muscle cramps had uh, a significant impact on uh, tolerability, but it's worth noting that half of the patients continued treatment beyond uh, cycle uh, 12. Then, with uh, respect to uh, clinical efficacy, one of the challenges that we face in this setting is that we currently lack uh, good tools to capture uh, clinical responses in sclerotic uh, GBHD in an objective standardized uh, manner but uh, despite this limitation uh, the early data that we report here are, are encouraging so uh, using a zero to ten uh, scale for the uh, physician assessment of sclerosis uh, 13 out of uh, 20 patients achieve at least a, a two-point improvements and um, these improvements in the were actually uh, quite remarkable in, in some patients uh also correlated with patient assessed outcomes with responses per nih uh, criteria with a 60 percent uh, overall response uh, rate or partial uh, response. Um, importantly, these responses appear to be sustained in time with certain patients uh, showing uh, responses lasting more than, than six months. Uh, we have additional st- studies uh, still ongoing to also evaluate uh, potential pharmacodynamic correlates of uh, response and to characterize the immune milieu in these patients. But uh, so far, we have not been able to detect any immunomodulatory effects upon treatment with uh, glas so uh, overall, these are proof-of-concept data indicative that uh, glas could have a role in the treatment of this uh, particularly hard-to-treat uh, GBHD uh, subtype. Uh, tolerability is certainly an issue. However, the, there was variability in the development of uh, muscle cramps with uh, patients that tolerated treatment uh, fairly well. Um, I think that alternative, not continuous, uh, dosing schedule may help optimize tolerability as has been shown in, in other studies in the solid tumor space with other uh, hetero-signaling inhibitors. Though we don't know uh, if these alternative schedules may, may compromise efficacy. Uh, there's another trial uh, ongoing led by Professor Stephanie Lee at uh, Fred Hatch evaluating last in a similar uh, patient population. Uh, and it will be important to see what they emerges from uh, that trial as we move uh, forward.
0: Lastly, we will hear from Eleni Gavralaki of the National and Kapodistrian University of Athens, Greece, who talks about the dynamic assessments of peripheral perfusion in survivors of allergenic, matopoietic cell transportation.
3: We're very happy to present our first results at uh, this year's uh, European Haematology Association uh, conference on uh, our study uh, in allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell uh, transplantation uh, survivors or allo hct uh, survivors and um, this is a generally understudied uh, field especially uh, when cardiovascular risk uh, is concerned Uh, Our uh, group has a dynamic uh, collaboration uh, with uh, cardiovascular experts, and that has enabled us uh, to perform this study on the dynamic assessment of peripheral perfusion. Uh, In other words, these are markers or microvascular changes in in allo-HCT, survivors. These uh, markers have been developed basically for other diseases. Uh, uh, they, they have been developed at first uh, for patients with uh, scleroderma or other rheumatic uh, diseases and uh, they are otherwise uh, uh, called uh, and assessed by laser speckle contrast analysis or LASCA and uh, this is um, a, a machine. uh, that non-invasively and very easily uh, assesses the microvascular function. Uh, This microvascular dysfunction is uh, something uh, that has been established as an early marker of cardiovascular uh, disease in these other entities but uh, there is very, very few data in allogeneic uh, HCT. Given that uh, cardiovascular uh, events are the second cause of death in allo-HCT uh, survivors that do not develop a relapse or other malignancy, uh, we uh, aimed to assess these markers for the first time in our survivors. And to summarize uh, our results, uh, we did find in, an impairment of microvascular function or otherwise a microvascular dysfunction in allo-HCT survivors after a median of three years from allo-HCTs. And These patients did not currently, when studied, did not have a GVHD or uh, other malignancies. So they were... Uh, patients otherwise free from severe complications of uh, transplant or from the free from their uh, disease or secondary malignancy. And we compared this with a mass population Uh, mass population of controls that did have the same cardiovascular risk factors. And uh, the reason we did that uh, was to make sure that we see the true effect of allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation in this microvascular dysfunction. So we proved for the first time that there is a, a microvascular uh, dysfunction in uh, adult Aldo hcd survivors, showing that this might be an important marker uh, for the long-term follow-up of these patients. Of course, further studies are needed uh, in this field to further understand Uh, how we can use such markers in our clinical practice. But through these studies, uh, we aim to pay attention to to this field and also make the other transplanters aware of these uh, complications.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and share your thoughts on the topics discussed. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to visit vjhemok.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as more exclusive transplant coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemok podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.